Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to Clearview Community Church Online. I'm Micah Denbach, I'm the worship director here at the church. Now I have a strange question for you. Can you taste the difference in the water that you drink? I know tons of people who, you know, if they're given the choice, they'll only drink certain types of water. And when I lived in Peterborough, my wife and I, we couldn't stand the taste of the tap water there. We had to keep purifying it until we liked it. But here in Clearview, it doesn't bother us. And I know of some people who they will only drink bottled water because of the flavor. Well, I really actually don't like drinking bottled water because I feel like I can taste the plastic inside of it. And what I learned just a few weeks ago is that there are people who are becoming water tasters, water sommeliers. And this is a similar idea to people who you know taste wine. Uh, people are becoming experts on the different flavors, where they come from, the mineral components, where they're sourced, and you know whatever else goes into that. And this kind of makes sense to me. And it's interesting that water has different tastes depending on where it's from. But what's happening is that water companies are now creating fancy water and they're marking up the price. And there are bottled waters that are claiming to be naturally sourced from remote, remote regions, claiming to be harvested or cultivated in ways that protect and sustain the environment. And then, you know, these bottles of water are then sold for hundreds of dollars. And before we breeze over that, I literally saw a singular bottle of water being sold for over $140. And I'm spending time on this because there are times when we can be picky about the water that we drink. And then there are times where you are so thirsty that it doesn't matter if there's a brand behind it. I just need the water. And so it's after finishing you know, a hard workout or after going through a busy day where you realize that you actually haven't had a glass of water all day, or when you wake up in the middle of the night and you are desperately thirsty, your preferences go out the window. And I know that when I need water, when I'm feeling that way, I'm not worried about whatever my preferences are. My preferences aren't going to stop me from getting what I need. And the passage we're looking at today is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And I feel like this passage shows us the difference between approaching Jesus in interest and approaching Jesus out of our desperate need for him. But to help us understand the difference, we're going to rewind to uh, Luke chapter 6. Now, the book of Luke, as we've said before, is written to an audience that hadn't experienced Jesus firsthand. Luke met with eyewitnesses, recording all of the information in a way that those reading and hearing uh, would hear about what Jesus had done would understand and would believe. With this in mind, the lessons that we hear about and read in the book of Luke of Jesus, his lessons are often closely tied with practical examples. And the second half of Luke 6, starting in verses 20, it highlights who the kingdom of God has been opened up to and what faith, what a faith-filled life looks like. Jesus says things like, blessed are you who are poor, who hunger now, who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And then further on in Luke 6, Jesus goes on to say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now we look at these passages and we ask, how on earth do I love my enemy? What does it mean to not judge? And what does Jesus mean when he's talking about these, you know, quote unquote blessings? 
Now, thankfully, we don't have to search too far to get our answers because Luke chapter 7 gives us practical examples of how to live as Jesus is challenging us to. Luke chapter 7 shows Jesus ministering, loving, and blessing the centurion. This Roman officer is the enemy of the Jewish people, but because of his great need, he seeks out Jesus. And he is the commander of one out of 100 men, and they're in charge of forcing the peace, squashing any rebellions, and keeping the people at bay. In the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus takes time to listen to the needs of his enemy. He blesses his enemy by healing his servant. And he even goes as far as to compliment the centurion by saying, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And so here Jesus gives us a small example of what it means to love and bless the people that we might consider our enemies. And immediately after this, Luke tells us of Jesus interacting with a widow who had just lost her son. In this day and age, this woman would have relied on her husband and her sons to provide for her. With them gone, she would likely find herself homeless and forced to beg or steal to survive if no one else took pity on her. So she was now potentially homeless, poor, marginalized, as well as lost in the grief for the death of her son. And in her great need, she comes face to face with Jesus. And Jesus knows what's going to happen to her without her son. And in compassion, he comforts the mother and raises her son back to life. And this miracle is the greatest miracle that Jesus has done so far as recorded in the book of Luke, as Jesus raises this boy back to life. And so not only was Jesus a healer and a prophet, but his power here demonstrates that his power rivals the greatest prophets that are seen in scripture. And we read, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And, you know, not every tear will be met with a miracle, but those who trust in Jesus will find comfort in their heavenly father. That's promised in scripture. Last week, we read about how John the Baptist, a man sent by God uh, to make a clear path for Jesus, John is questioning whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. John was doubting whether Jesus was the Messiah. And I don't say this to discredit John. John is in prison for preaching and teaching, and he's likely getting a bit antsy that Jesus you know, doesn't look like what John thought he would look like. And John is wondering if all of his life's work has been worth it because his expectation isn't matching reality. John's anxiety, his great need, is driving him to Jesus. And Jesus replies to John's messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, to put it simply, Jesus tells John, he is the Messiah, that John's sacrifice was and is worth it. And then when we look back, you know, the chapter before at Luke chapter 6, verses 22 uh, to 23, we read, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in, in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And we see this verse, you know, demonstrated and lived out in the life of John. Now, his blessing is that he gets to see the Messiah, to watch the kingdom of God be established on earth, and to know that better things are ahead, which is great news as John is ultimately looking ahead to his, his death sentence. Now, for those of you who are listening, and you'll probably realize that I'm about halfway done what I want to talk about, and I haven't even started looking at the passage that we're going to be looking at. And no, I haven't forgotten what passage I'm on. 
But the reason that I wanted to take a look back at these passages is because Luke is showing us that the people who need Jesus are the ones who seek after Jesus. Now, everyone, quote unquote, needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. But what I mean is that there are the people who are shown in this chapter have no other option than to see and seek Jesus. And to tie it back to the illustration I shared at the beginning, these people are dying of thirst, and they know that the only thing that will satisfy them is Jesus, is God in the flesh. And this passage that we're about to enter into drives this point home. You know, Jesus encounters those who seek after him, those who need him, those who, while those who are familiar with Jesus who don't need him, they often miss who he is. So we're going to read this passage together in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he responded. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Uh, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I have entered have not, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other uh, guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So Jesus is visiting a Pharisee, a man with wealth, with power, with authority in the community. And more than that, this man knew scripture and knew the prophecies of the Messiah. And with all of this knowledge of scripture, and then with all of the things that he had seen of Jesus and seen Jesus do, something kept him from seeing and believing that Jesus was the Messiah. And you can see that in what this Pharisee says to Jesus. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And I'm, it just blows my mind. I'm sorry. Has this Pharisee not seen what Jesus has been doing? How he just raised a man back to life. And the guests of the Pharisee, they're watching all this unfold and they're asking, who is this? who even forgives sins. And, you know, to put it more bluntly, they're asking, who does this guy think he is? In spite of the proof, in spite of the miracles, this man's pride and his preferences, his mindset kept him from seeing who Jesus was. But the sinful woman, woman in the story knows without a doubt who Jesus is. 
So in contrast to the Pharisee, a sinful woman comes and immediately worships Jesus. She humbly you know, bows herself and embarrasses herself in this act of beautiful public worship and service to Jesus. And in this age, you know, women were often looked down on and treated like second-class citizens. And more than that, this woman is known by the community as being a sinner, which likely means that she committed a large public sin, likely something to do with sexual infidelity. And the sad thing is her onlookers know her more for her sins than they do for you know, who she actually is. Her sin had become her identity. And I don't know if some of, some of you can relate to that, where you feel like you can't live down your past and your mistakes, where you walk into the room and you feel like your, you know, your, your reputation walked in <laughs> way before you did, and you feel judged as you enter a room. And I think we all have moments that we look back on or try not to look back on, and we cringe as we remember the things that happened in the way that we felt. And shame, especially public shame, is hard to shake, and it can hurt us and kill us for a long time if we don't bring it to Jesus. So in spite of all this shame that this woman is feeling, and because of her great need, this woman seeks Jesus. And while I was preparing this message, I realized something that I hadn't seen before. This woman had to enter the house of the same people who were shaming her. Her sinful judgment came from the religious elite who are right before God. And in order to get to Jesus, she had to push past the judgments, the ridicule, and the shame. And she did it. And in front of the same people that gave her the sinful labels, she received forgiveness and restoration from God. Not because she was righteous, but because she recognized her great need and knew that Jesus was the only one who could meet her needs. So to bring this all the way back to the illustration that I gave at the beginning, um, you know, there are people who who study the taste of water so that they can taste the difference in the minerals. They can taste it and know it's spring water, glacier. They know where the water comes from and, you know, whatever else they study water with. And people will pay tons of money to have water shipped across the world to take little sips and to study the different nuances of the water. But if you really think about it, who truly appreciates the taste of water? Those who are dying of thirst, <laughs> those who actually need it. And in the book of Luke, um, who are the ones trying to understand and worship Jesus? The ones who actually need him. Who truly appreciates the grace of God? Those who really need it. Who truly appreciates the love of God? Those who need it. So if you're listening in and you can relate to any of the people that we've heard about today, the one who stood in opposition to God, the one you know, broken by the weight of their needs, the one left questioning God's plan in their life, or the one trapped under the weight of their shame. I want you to close your eyes and hear the truth from God. You're loved, you're valued, you are heard, and you're forgiven. Don't believe the lie that you are too far gone to be accepted by God. In fact, it might be that your circumstance is helping you to see how much you need God. And if this is you, I want to invite you to reach out to somebody, whether it's the church or somebody you know that follows Jesus so that you can get um, the support and, and hear more about following Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. We want to hear from you so that we can support you, celebrate with you, and help you grow in your relationship with, with Jesus. That is literally why we are here. So please reach out to us or to a local church in your area so that we can plug you into a community of people that love you and will support you. 
And if you're listening and you, you know, you have some experience with God or you have experience with the church, but you're still uncertain, I want to say two things. One, you are allowed to ask questions about your faith. In fact, asking questions and exploring your faith is a great way to grow as a believer. And we have groups that uh, tackle tough questions and, and ask questions back and forth and answer them. And there's always room for you and your questions. However, and I think this is a warning that we see in this passage is don't let your familiarity with God or your questions about God keep you from coming to Jesus. The Pharisee knew a lot. He looked the part, he said the right thing, you know, he probably voted the right way, he's a good citizen, but in the Pharisees' comfort or in their pride, they missed out on Jesus and they really missed the most important thing. And my hope and my prayer is that you don't let that happen to you. So as we close today, I want to pray for you. Lord, for those who are in great need, whether it's related to health or finances, relationships or past hurts, God, we know that you are the God who restores, provides, breaks down barriers and heals. And as we come face to face with our needs, you know, great or small, Lord, please help us to bring our needs to you. For you are the only one who can meet our needs. And I thank you that you care deeply about us. And ultimately, God, more than anything else, we need you. <laughs> so help us to feel your presence today, no matter what we're facing. And Lord, for those who are still on the fence about what they believe and who are, you know, they know you, but they're struggling to follow you. I pray that you would, that they would recognize how much they need you, that you are the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And while we turned away from you, you didn't turn away from us. You sent your son to live a perfect life and to die as a sacrifice for our sins and mistakes so that we can be brought back into relationship with you. You have created us, you sustain us, you love us so much. And Lord, help us to understand how much we need you. Lord, in everything that we do and in everything that we say, Lord, help us to understand how much we need you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.